0: Money can't buy your class, money can't buy your class, elegance is learned, my friends, elegance is learned, oh yeah, money can't buy your class.
1: Welcome to Money Can't Buy You Class. I am Phoebe, and this is my co-host Gemma. And this is Money Can't Buy You Class, a podcast about reality television through a critical lens. And before we begin, I just want to note, just put it in the open that so Gemma and I, we've been doing this for, I guess, about a year now, over a year. I still don't know how to open it I still obviously I I, like jump over my words when I do the opening I don't know why I don't know why I can't just say the same thing every time why it sounds weird coming out of my mouth but um I just wanted to say that we kind
2: of resist uh a formality you know um I I don't know by choice that's not that's not an intentional artistic choice uh by any means but you know we've let it evolve and Anyway, yes. Welcome to Money Camp You class. Today we're going to talk about a real classic, a real love of everybody's. We're going to we're taking ourselves to the sunny streets of Los Angeles, to the hills of Calabasas, to the crime-ridden streets of Encino. Uh, we will be speaking about the first 5 episodes of The Kardashians on Hulu, mm-hmm. season 1. And we're going to touch on Dorit Kemsley's robbery as performed, shown, illustrated on the first episode of Real Housewives of Beverly
1: Hills. Yeah, two, two classics are back. Two classics, uh, thank God. I know, two Los Angeles classics. Um, both shows, I mean, the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills Um, it's not returning in the same way that the Kardashians returned, like it's not a new beginning, but, you know, I think a lot of the housewives franchises, including Beverly Hills struggled with COVID because Mm -hmm. there was nothing really for them to do. Um, so now they're kind of back with their return to the, to the real world or their return to, you know, like, um, I guess post COVID but but also not I post COVID doesn't really work because it's not like COVID it was like a static right. thing but there it's like a return to normalities of like living in a recognizable way um, with all the recognizable consequences of being out in public and being seen and sharing who you are and what your house looks like
2: right right I, I mean I was going to say I think watching the shows in time with the present um, really does kind of reinforce that feeling of like a return. Like you're kind of, you're kind of happy to be back in Kyle's house. You, you know, there, there's a, there's a real sense of, a, there is a return because you're familiar with what's going on. And then there's always something new introduced as well. Um Season one of the Kardashians is a new beginning. It is the family coming back together on camera after their long break without cameras. Uh, and it's been a pretty good five episodes, I would say. Um, I'm I'm enjoying I mean on a on a not critical lens level i'm I'm enjoying the show.
1: Yeah, yeah, well, bye. It wasn't, I think then this is also something that we wanted to talk about, which is it's a return to be paid or getting paid for people to film them. But it definitely wasn't a break from cameras, which is, I think, like important to note, you know, to like really make the distinction because something that we were just talking about that Gemma noted even was this like, was I think one of the major shit, because you of course need to talk about keeping up with the Kardashians versus the Kardashians and something that we were talking about was how the Kardashians is really focused on creating a narrative out of um, like social media congruence Mm -hmm. like they want their lives as we know them on Instagram and stuff to be completely congruent and in line with what the show reveals in the order in which it reveals it answering the emotional questions of like, how did that happen? What was going on? What did Kim feel? How did Kim and Pete meet? Like, was the engagement of Courtney and Travis filmed? Like, that was a whole thing. Like, how did Scott feel? So the show does a good job at almost like filling in the timeline blanks with yes. the emotional intricacies and intimacies, right? And,
2: you know, the, the early- um It's also worth noting that they promoted the show for since January 1st, since the new year, Um, which Phoebe and I talked about at the time, you know, they very much inserted themselves into the, you know, calendar, where when you're counting down to the new year, you're also counting down to the year in which the Kardashians will be released. And so the promotion for the show was really extensive and very long. And I think the line is totally blurred between straight up promotion, you know, Hulu presents the Kardashians coming April 13th to the promotion of just themselves living their lives on Instagram, which becomes a desire, which becomes something that you want to then see happen on the show. So, so it's a very smart tactic and much, and a much more logical and fitting for like the time that we live in than E was. E almost became anachronistic. I mean, the last two seasons of the Kardashians were horrible. they were awful. And, and part of the reason I felt like they were so awful was because it was, we were playing catch up. It was a real lag and a real disconnect between them manufacturing a plot about Courtney and Scott getting together, but we're seeing Courtney living it up with Travis on Instagram. So then, it it just kind of falls flat at that point. That it doesn't work anymore. So I think that this shift was a really important part of the Hulu uh, production.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And you're right because, like, I mean, they also got, I think, really bombarded with COVID. Yeah. You know, because it's like, how are you going to shoot? Like, how are you going to plan out yeah. shoots? Um, You know, not that I, is, I don't like feel bad for them really, but it's like, um, like at the beginning of the show, and I think a lot of like successful shows in their first couple of successful seasons, like reality shows, you don't really care about the individuals, but you care about the show. So yeah. every new season, you have no idea what's happened since you know, you've last checked in with them because they're like they're they're characters and it's like a plot. They're not like real people, but I think that the Kardashians blowing up, um, it it really it made us keep up with them yeah. as actual human beings, not just as characters in a manufactured like home setting and like a sitcom or like a drama. Right. You know, so I think E failed. At making that shift between who the Kardashians are to the viewer and to the public, and I think that Hulu quite brilliantly was able to completely grasp exactly the desires of the yeah. of the viewer, just like Peacock has been doing with Ultimate Girls Trip, um, yeah. and what Netflix has completely failed to do mm-hmm. with, you know, as they yeah. talked about last week with their reality shows.
2: Yeah definitely. And I remember when the promotion started coming out about the show, I was really interested in the fact that all of the um, the Instagram account Kardashians on Hulu, the promotional images early on were all these Polaroids, um, images of Polaroids, which, you know, beyond the kind of Instagram meta vibe of Instagram's icon is a Polaroid camera and you know, early filters on Instagram were like the digital version of a Polaroid, which was this huge development and photography where you could just snap a picture and see it a minute later. I think the Polaroid thing for me felt like important because it, 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 it very much from, it immediately characterized the show as the, we're going to see the behind the scenes and we're going to see something again, like they always hint to, but even more, they're hinting towards like, we're going to see something authentic. We're going to see something, we're going to see them just doing their daily lives in, a, in somehow a more authentic way. I also think that it hints to the Kardashians' um, nostalgia, which I think, uh, which for the 90s and the 2000s when they kind of came up. And I think that that actually is a big theme in this new season. There's a lot of callbacks.
1: Yeah, no, and I th- also, I think you're so spot on to, to talk about the Polaroids, because what also a Polaroid is, it's like one photo. Right, right. It's like this immediacy of the one photo, and there are no copies of it. Like, they're not, they're yeah. like, not digitized. And it's kind of impossible for them to be digitized. Um, because it's, it's not like a film camera, even where you can like scan the the, the film or whatever. Um, so I think that it also kind of like adds to this ethos of like, we you're getting an exclusive. Like what we're going to give you is something that's like only you can get. And it also reminds, did you see Genius, the Netflix documentary about Kanye? Remember there's a whole thing in that about Polaroids too, Mm -hmm. where um, a lot of the, like a lot of the transitions uh, there's like this um, like digitized almost uh, like, like a pin board where, where you have the Polaroids and you go from image to image. And there's even a scene in the movie that's showing a video editor putting together with like a green screen, the layout of how those Polaroids would work. And you, you know, you think of behind the scenes and bands, you think of like almost famous and no. So I think, yeah, the Polaroid is definitely very important. And it's also like, the polaroid is a very like casual thing it's like you're not posing it's kind of like you're caught off guard
2: right and and i yeah right exactly and and i think this polaroid also feels like this very big departure from like a selfie it's like who's taking the polaroid like who's are they looking at each other like are they photographing each other is uh you know one of their team members photographing them is production photographing them? That 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 perspective is hard to tell in those images um, of like who's who's capturing them behind, who's capturing behind the scenes. And I think yeah, the candidness of it, you know, obviously if it's candid or not, the implication of candidness is quite important. And I think is also a big theme in the in the kind of new era of the Kardashians. You know, they're making themselves can't, at least Kim, I think Kim for sure is making herself much more accessible and feel much more real and, uh, is doing interviews that she's never done before is opening up about her like life and sort of curse as a muse. Um, and we haven't really seen that from her before
1: yeah, something I was thinking about because I just saw the most recent episode, episode five yesterday. Um, Kim keeps harping on this fat on this on this like phrase or this idea where she's like, nobody expected anything of me, and yeah. I'm doing all this stuff to prove them wrong, which which strikes me because I think that usually when you see, woman especially uh in in positions of power and wealth a lot of their go-to speech is I'm doing this to show other little girls that they can be like me you right. even have that with you know you have that with like every politician yeah. um you and you even have that with someone like Emily Ratajkowski who's like rebranding from like the world's most beautiful woman to like I like. I also have struggled, and like for all those girls who have been like abused by men, like every young model, like they can look to me, you know. So you you make yourself relatable. But I actually think that what Kim is doing is she's completely uh, individual, individuating. Yes. You know, she's saying nobody else is like me, and not only is no one else like me, I can do things that you didn't even think I could do. So it's this very almost combative. Understanding. Yeah. And I think that that also comes from the fact that there is no one else like Kim Kardashian. There's no. no little girl who who would see herself in Kim. Right.
2: Right. And, you know, we talked a lot about like whether or not like Kim sort of ab- perpetually absent interiority. And I think that this season we're getting some of that interiority um, in her process of indi- individuating. Um, and it, it seems like the, it seems like the second half, so, you know, episode five ish, episode five, you have Kim talking about trying to f- put together her look and she's freaking out because she has, she says that she's never, she has never been the visionary for herself. So in that, there's some interesting idea. Like she's never envisioned herself. She's always had other people envisioning her. She was like, she's always been dressed. She's always been styled. She's always been this kind of mannequin Barbie doll, which is like a stale fucking take, but like, you know, she is. That was like the whole character of her relationship with Kanye. And now she's questioning who am I that the episode is titled who is Kim K which I think is such an interesting and maybe not interesting but like it's just so it's just so on the nose like it's so on the nose of like people are always like she doesn't have any entirety. she's vapid and they're like so okay you want you want to know who is she we're going to show you right um who is Kim K and Kim K too, the nickname also feels significant to reference in the Hulu verse you know
1: yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I'm just thinking now about the relationship between, like, awareness and interiority, you know, because I think that you can be self-aware but not have an interior life, but I, and I'm also wondering, like, what type, like, there's self-awareness, but then there's also awareness about how you're seen, mm-hmm. there's awareness about how you act, um, and I think that there can also be a lot of, like, faux awareness, um, and I you know, I and then in that scene that you're talking about when Kim goes, I've never dressed myself. Well, and when she's saying I've never been the visionary, she, It's it's because she's having a hard time dress herself. And then Scott comes over and Scott, you know, in the documentary style, just like on the fly interview, he goes, it's so ridiculous to me because Kim is literally famous for being the most beautiful, the most attractive woman in the world. So I don't know why she would freak out, but then, you know, but then Scott then does the thing where he goes, Oh, you know, it should actually make everyone like everyone watching everyone in the world feel better because even Kim Kardashian right. is insecure. So I think that Scott is actually creating a character of Kim K, you know, in air quotes in a completely different unorchestrated way that Kim herself is is promoting the image of herself because she's, she's not making it about relatability, but Mm -hmm. I think that Scott is making her insecurity about relatability. And that's where, that's where the tension is. And I mean, it, it also, you know, saying that she's not the visionary. First of all, it like, you know, her marriage with, with Kanye you know, marriage is literally a business transaction, but I think that also the marriage with Kanye is the marriage of the two minds, the marriage of the two images between them. So I think that she's kind of hinting at that as well. She goes, we, and she says in that same scene, we always had fashion, but fashion's not enough for a marriage, yeah. right?
2: It almost like brings to mind, like, you know, if we, if we consider them like a great sort of synergistic, creative, artistic couple, in which together, only together, they are able to s- realize their vision. It's very romantic and it's very classic. I mean, you have Ule and Abramovich, who they were only able to make work together and their work was important because it was the two of them. And in the end, they had the most dramatic, romantic art piece of their lives, which was their breakup. You know, everything in their life was a performance. Their breakup was a performance. They walked they each walked from one side of the Great Wall of China and met in the middle and said goodbye. Even then, real human emotion gets in the way and Ule couldn't keep it pure. He started a relationship with his guide and had a baby with her. And Marina was alone. Mar- Marina had was left alone. That's always very poignant to me.
1: Right, exactly. And then of course, like you think of like Ule and, and Marina Abramovich, like when she was at the, uh, at MoMA, there was like another fault line when she was doing the, the the artist is present and he came and you know she shed a single tear, but even the you know the the return of the of the emotionality has to be in the public right. sphere, and then you think about uh, the Donda release or Donda two was it? Mm-hmm. I'm like now it's like everything is above <laughs> my head. It was the Donda release in Chicago where Kim and Kanye who had been who were divorced at that point staged a wedding. Yeah. Right? They're like still collaborating under like the auspice of their relationship. Right. They're they're performing a relationship. They're performing a togetherness. They're they're making public something that um well I don't know. They're just some something something is happening by by making art or performing something which already was performed, you know? The other thing about the Hulu show is it, it has a frivolity to it.
2: Um, that's like a little bit more like, Oh, like, yeah, we're divorced, but like, you know, it's all love or like, it's a little hard. And like, it, it's just got, it's got a little peppiness to it. I mean, it's, you know, the, the aesthetic of it is very peppy. The, the soundtrack is very peppy. Um, so we're not really going to see these like very, very sad moments. The time of trial we see Kim in, consistently is her under pressure to perform a task and to continue to do work you know it it, we really don't we really don't get to see her super super upset ever about you know divorce or something Or, or 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 see her describe her relationship with Kanye in a like you know kind of deeper way
1: I think that she hints at it though, and I th- like. I think that I think that she is actually sharing a lot by, and like again, it's like we're not saying that like Kim and Kanye are like a experimental art couple. You know, I think that the comparison is more in terms of just like the more in terms of the images that they're promoting. You know, it's like you have to read the images that you get fed, whether there's images on social media or like music videos, reality television. You read the images in terms of other images that you've seen and other experiences, other, you know, other pieces of work of of, of visual art or, or just like experiential images that you can, that you understand one thing through. Right. You know, there are different lenses in which you see it. And I think that, you know, obviously part of, part of, part of uh, like image layering is like the relationship between like the conscious and the, and the subconscious. Right. And I think that, you know, when Kim says something like, I've never been a visionary. I miss Kanye because he never, because uh, he always picked out my outfits. He even <laughs> picked out my outfit for SNL. I think that that, in and of itself, whether it's conscious or subconscious, it's like on, on the level of the image. It's relaying so much information about about how she feels and how she relates to to the divorce. It's where we see Kim's. Displacements or misplacements, which has so much more Mm. than her actually just being like, "I feel X because of Y."
2: Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree with that, and I think in that same vein of now, I'm just kind of thinking about like artist couples and you know the romanticization of coupledom and how powerful people, how powerful a couple is and how, how strongly people react to couples. And in that sense, I want to pivot a little bit just to talk about Courtney and Travis. And mm-hmm. they are the couple that's focused on in the show because they are, they're very visible. They are completely mm-hmm. visible and they seem to both get off on being visible, but you know, they have a very romantic idealized version of a relationship they are both they've done like several different photo shoots that recreate scenes from their favorite romance movies they very much exist in seeing themselves in this cinematic way which i'm not saying is like they're aware of and it's because they're reality
1: stars i think they're just those kind of people i mean and the sex right you know because like kim Well, you know, she's trying as hard as she can to distance herself from the sex tape. And even though she is positioned as like a sex icon, you know, and she even like freaks out over getting texted by Madonna, who is like, you know, like the the sex icon in the American imagination, you know, and and she's wearing Marilyn Monroe's dress and stuff. Kim, Kim like positions herself as a sex icon almost, um, but without having sex, yeah, she's you know, so asexual vibes. Even though, I mean, in the latest episode, you know, there's like a little aside where they're like teasing the Pete Davidson and Scott was like, I tried to FaceTime you last night and Kim was like, I was busy, like wink. But even that, it's like awkward, you know? It's like it's like almost cute in a way if it's like you're, you know, I feel like the way that she kind of like winked and like guffawed at that was like, she's not like, oh, I was fucking my brains out with like Pete's big dick you know she was like oh my god I don't know sorry oh like that's awkward yeah I guess we are kind of having sex I don't know but you know what I mean like she's awkward about the actual physical sex that she's having but she's still the sex icon and I feel like Courtney and Travis you can tell like that sexual magnetism and they're not trying to hide it at all I mean Courtney constantly has that like glistening orgasm glow like and it's it's almost awkward for me to look at because like you know what i mean when you see someone who's obviously just like fucking all the time you can like smell it off of them and for me it just makes me super uncomfortable i would say over these five episodes
2: the there has been this like undercurrent of sex as a theme which we start with episode one with the potential sex tape leap as i note in the show It is the exact same plot as season one, episode one of Keeping Up With The Kardashians, where Kim has a sex tape that's been leaked and they have to deal with it. So we have that. And then we have the episode that's literally called We're Celebrating Sex, which is Courtney and Travis getting engaged. They get engaged on the night on this, the year anniversary of the night they first hooked up which everyone in the family talks about. And I'm like, kind of weird. Like you have small children, but we can talk about that. Cause I, but then that same episode, you get this weird kind of full circle idea of sex in the public eye, which is that sex is how relationships start. And you get the extreme clinicalization of sex when they are literally in the doctor's office needing to give a sample and they draw out this scene for like extended amount of time. An, an uncomfortable amount of time. Uncomfortable. And they make this doctor seemingly uncomfortable um, where Courtney and Travis basically decide they're going to get Travis's sample in the exam room,
1: which is usually not how it, you usually just go to the bathroom and jerk off and there's some porn. Right. And what's interesting about that is like,
2: there's something so interesting so important about that like it's so like it's so ownershipy it's so like courtney being like if you're gonna ejaculate it better be in my vagina
1: (laughs) and it's also just like you better not come without me it's like a control thing and then you even see like they're getting turned on first of all they're wearing the same outfit and it's like this weird skeleton get up so it's like inside out it's like this whole like we're showing you everything on our insides. Yeah. But then it's also just like, Courtney is like sitting on the exam table and Travis is like kneeling. He is like kneeling. And I think that there is like also, that's also like the dy- like the sexual dynamic. It's not just like, okay, like, we're going to have sex now because like it's hard for him to come if like he's just jerking off so can we just have the condom like sorry if this is awkward and the doctor's like all right like sex sure but like the fact that they're just like it's they're making it into like a sex like a they're sexualizing the sex which is like something that you know it doesn't always happen like sex isn't always sexy um as- especially sex in the public eye but it- but anyway they are like they're making it into like such an experience that you kind of like understand how like dominance and like submission works in their relationship yeah, totally
2: and you know and you know oh. the, the doctor at says like so no other bodily fluids and so Courtney asks okay no other bodily fluids mm-hmm. so like no spit And she's like, no. And she's like, his spit? And she's like, no bodily fluids. And Courtney's like, so not my spit either. And she's like, no bodily fluids. But I have to say, like, I I mean, I don't know. Like, I feel like the circle comes, like it goes to the extreme clinicalization but then it's not they, they declinicalize it. I mean, it's kind of amazing. Like they kind of they kind of erase the clinical part of it, which I feel like maybe was like important for them emotionally.
1: Right. And even that, they're kind of like, I mean, even that is like a sexual scenario or like a play acting. But but they're they're role playing normal sex. Mm-hmm. you know? And they're also role-playing, like, teenage dumb, you know, making yeah. out in front of your parents, like, can I use spit? Can I, like, can I use his spit? Like, they're they're totally performing a version of themselves that you can tell is liberating for the both of them, but I think in, like, their liberatoriness, it calls into contrast or conflict the I don't know the like the other performances of supposed normalcy that everyone else is doing and it create it makes everyone feel extremely uncomfortable except for Courtney and Travis who are just kind of like in their own performance and play acting they're actually reaching towards something liberatory but you know and at, at the at the same time I think that what keeps, you know, Courtney keeps saying, "I don't want to burst our bubble. We're in such a special bubble. I don't want to burst the bubble." I think that they both know that context does matter. You know, the you can't just like continue your life as an endless performance. Like there's that great Charlie Kaufman film with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, *Synecdoche, New York*. Yeah where he does try to make his life into a complete performance, but, you know, but dies in the performance, you know, how do you, how do you make your death into a performance, but that's like a whole other thing, but, um, the context of their reality keeps catching up to them with Scott and with the kids, you know, and I think that, you know, as a, as someone whose father, you know, um, had a relationship where he was not hiding puritanically his attraction to the person that he's in a relationship with, it made me incredibly uncomfortable. And it kind of like, it, it, and I know from other people who've gone through the same thing, when your parents do that, you almost, you can kind of feel like a very guttural way or like very much so like in the stomach that there is kind of a competition between sex and parenthood and you yeah. can tell that your parent desires something that isn't you yeah. and you cannot give that to your parent yeah. you know and I think that the the kids like Courtney's kids are freaking out because they're feeling as if they can't give their mother what she what she craves and yeah that they're so they're free. afraid
2: they're afraid they're losing their mother i mean everyone keeps saying in the show everyone keeps saying so in the in the proposal episode for some reason a parent courtney blames it on chris and chris seems to have been the mastermind behind it uh in the proposal episode all of travis's kids are there they're a little older the whole family's there but courtney's kids aren't there it's kind of a weird vibe and you know like Phoebe, you pointed out in one of our conversations that, you know, th- the beginning of keeping up with the Kardashians was all about blending the Jenner and Kardashian family.
1: Yeah, right. And and I think that even Courtney hated Bruce. Right. And definitely Chloe hated Bruce for for a really long time. Um, and there are all those episodes about like Courtney like, blaming Chris for like cheating on Robert it was like this you know this whole this whole thing Um, but I think that there's definitely a well obviously there's a trauma but I think that this trauma in the show it's like even yes like a theme is sex but the theme of the show has always been the loss of a parent and I think that the biggest trauma is a parent leaving you before you can leave them Mm -hmm. right because we're kind of taught that like no you're with your parents and then you leave like you go off to college and it, it creates like the in many ways, even though it rarely happens for anyone like that, this, this sense of agency for the child, that's why it was heartbreaking to see the kids. And I actually, you know, Scott is like a really fucked up guy for many different reasons. Um, but I think that he's actually a good dad to his kids, you know, yeah. and especially now, I mean, you, you see the way that he acts with them. And I, I don't know. I don't think that Courtney is a very good mother and remember a few seasons ago there is that like one of the plot lines was that um Chloe had to like make one of her sisters like the godmom of her kids which Oh yeah is, yeah like, and she
2: chooses Kim.
1: Right and you think that she's going to choose Courtney cuz Courtney's like I love spending time with my kids and like blah 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 but i think that at the at the end of the day uh Chloe is like actually Kim is the better mother. You know, Kim is actually mothering her children. And then there I saw this like interview clip of like Kendall, who we can talk about her. She's like the most insufferable person. I can't see her. <laughs> but in an interview, someone was like, it was that interview where it's like either eat like goat semen or like answer a intrusive question. So she chose to answer the question and it was like rank your sisters in terms, in terms of uh, how good they are at mothers from like best to worst. And even Kendall is like, yeah, like Courtney's the worst mother.
2: This I think is also illuminating something that we've talked about a lot, which is like that we've talked about in terms of the housewives that we've talked about in terms of Elena Ferrante's series that we've that. And and I just watched um, the lost daughter. And, um, you should watch it by the way. Um, but very strange movie. It's, it gets at the crux of the pain and difficulty and, uh, kind of like shackles of womanhood. Some women have children too early and then they feel trapped and they feel like they can't live their lives and they are haunted. I think Courtney's a little bit like that. I think Courtney had kids really young she didn't really ever have a support system with her children's father. I mean, maybe early on. No, definitely not. And early now on. she's, and now she's wants to live her life. Like now, like she wants to live life. Like I think Courtney is very much exemplifying. Like I hadn't thought about that till this conversation, but like I think that's a really interesting lens into which view this whole Kravitz relationship is like Courtney's internal battle and like grief of wanting to be a mother and wanting to be an independent sexualized woman. because I don't think those two things go together in society. And I don't think they go together in terms of the public performance of a family.
1: Well, and I, I also think that Courtney is a very selfish person, which you can even see where, no, but I, I think that she's selfish in a way that is different than a lot of the other sisters are, you know? Um, And I I keep seeing it because, you know, she there's one thing to be like, I am making the decision to like choose myself and like go go like fuck my boyfriend and like whatever, like the kids will come second. It's one thing to just like say that even if you don't say it on national television, you can tell if somebody is like honest with themselves about what they're choosing. But she says, I think it's like episode two or three she one of her like talking head interviews she's like no actually like being doing pda is good for my kids yeah. because it shows them it's actually like really good for them because it shows them that they shouldn't be embarrassed of like loving someone physically which is like that's that's so not true like i mean i don't, I don't know like no i don't i don't think that's true and like even like when I was a kid, like my parents, which like, like kissed a little bit, I was like, Oh my God, ew, gross. Like, I mean, it makes you feel weird as a child. And I think that especially seeing your parent do that with someone who like, isn't your biological parent is like, ew, gross. Like, I mean, it looks like Travis Barker. <laughs> I know. And like, you can tell it's just like fucking the shit out of your mom. You know what I mean? It's like, I mean, it's edit, like, it's not even, that's actually not like a weird thing to say. That's like the whole fucking point of like, Oedipus you know yeah, it's like exactly. it's weird to see your parents having sex yeah you know
2: <laughs> well it's like you know the old the age-old tale of like you know it, it's like a rite of passage and this weird fucked up way to like walk in on your parents or something like that you know no, like- and
1: that literally you would think it wouldn't but that is like the trauma with a lot of kids that they, yeah. so, I mean, have you read uh The Wolfman? That's like Freud's like one of Freud's no, no, cases. says, yeah. His whole thing, like, I mean, we won't get into the wolfman right now, and I'd have to like reread it, but the, the wolfman is this guy is like impossibly fucked up, and after years and years of therapy, his trauma was walking in on his dad fucking his mom from behind. Right. And he has nightmares it is. about it. No, exactly. And it's just like that was it. <laughs> yeah he walked in and then he like rapes his sister or something. You know what I mean? It's like, he yeah. gets so messed up by it right. that I don't think it's good. And I think that that's part of like Courtney's like in- incredible, like narcissistic selfishness yeah. where she, she can't even admit that she's doing something for herself. Yeah. And even like, instead of being like, Oh, you know what? I'm going to immediately call my kids and tell them to come out here. She goes, well, they're not here because it's my mom's fault.
2: Yeah, exactly. He's
1: always blaming. I mean, Courtney's
2: yeah. I mean, Courtney's been the most the the been dislikable for the longest time. I mean, and I and I've I've gone through an arc with her. Like at the beginning of the season, I was like, oh my God, loving Kravis. And now I'm like, okay, let's figure it out, you know. But I think to to continue the com- like the theme of talking about like sex on the on the new Kardashians, the whole, the whole part, the whole thing with Kim's new sex tape, alleged new sex tape leaking. You know, it comes up on her son's Roblox iPad game. It's the meme of her crying. The whole, they talk about memes a lot in this season. Um, So that was really weird. But I was like, whoa, when Kanye, when they present the sex tape as a physical object, I was like, wow. Because first of all, We know they're filming a reality show. They talk about footage all the time. They talk about this idea of like having footage. We got footage. You know, we know they're actively getting footage. This idea is that there's lost footage or unseen footage. That's very interesting. The Polaroid, (laughs) the Polaroid, the footage, the fact that. And and it, it just seems like a very superfluous but intentional it's a prop. It's a full on prop. It's, it's a way for the viewer to see, like, even like the mass of the suitcase. And like, it was a full desktop computer and like a hard drive. And you're like, okay, I mean, what? Like everyone knows that's not how like the internet works. Like, like, okay. It was only on that hard drive. Maybe like, I just thought that was so weird. And like, I thought like Kanye retrieving this sex tape, almost like a sex tape object and like him's objectification as a sex object i just thought that part was like wacko
1: right and i think right no i right that was really weird and then they all pray over it so it becomes just like sacramental object now it
2: was like a sacrificial sacramental like it was so symbolic
1: she's crying she's weeping looking at this desktop but she also needs the footage of it as well right you know it's like and and you know they're always talking about like i i even think of like footage in terms of like uh like 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 their huge houses like the yeah. like the literal footage of their houses yeah you know, they're they're obsessed with space they're obsessed with the creation of memories they're i think we've talked about this before but there's this like obsession with objecthood even with like yeah you know, the, the linguistic demand to own it, uh, that you see a lot on, um, on the Real Housewives. Like the, you know, it's like, it's like the language that they know is like the language of financialization. Um, and, and I think that like financialization, the ethos of it, the, you know, the embodiment of it, 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 it not only like entraps you in a completely unpoetic Nature. I think it also entraps you in the idea that everything's an object, like that. You know that. Speaking of SNL, that bit in Thirty Rock, where you know where we see, we get to see the world through everyone's eyes. So we see the world through Jack Donaghy's eyes, and everything has a price tag. Yeah, you know where every everything's an object that has the capacity to be bought or sold. Right. Um. You know, commodity, money, commodity.
2: Yeah. Totally. Do you think we? can this? This is kind of feeling like it could be a good moment to talk about Dorit's robbery, if you're yes. ready. Yes,
1: right, because it's the not we go from everything's an object to what happens when of the trauma of 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 people taking your objects and what happens to your understanding of the object when you're confronted with their loss.
2: Yeah. So like, right. So like the losing or the taking of objects also gets confused with like, are you traumatized? You're traumatized because of violence. You're traumatized because you're violated. Are you also traumatized because you lost like a significant chunk of your kind of assets, like your, your financial assets, but also in terms of footage, I mean, once again, the, um, the real housewives times true crime narrative, uh, builds and we get, the opening scene of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. The first freaking scene. I did not see that coming. Was security footage of these two men who robbed Dorit breaking into the back door of her house. It was incredibly detailed, very scary, like truly fucking scary. And then you get this voiceover from Dorit about the robbery. And I was like, okay, again, the true crime it's still coming we had like slc did it first with the like editing of the show in this weird way to make it feel like a true crime doc like making a murderer or some shit and like it's the same vibe
1: yeah i mean and even i think that what um you know and then uh beverly hills is like three days earlier which has been going on ever since uh lisa vanderpump was fired from the show yeah it the season starts with the big eruption then it goes like Yeah, that's a classic move on Real Housewives. But especially on Beverly Hills. But I think that's something that strikes me. So so Gemma and I, we were talking about how, so this is season 12 um, and Dorit, if for people who don't know, (laughs) Dorit, who's one of like the main members of the cast got robbed at gunpoint. These guys broke into her house. She had just put her kids to bed. Her husband was in London. They had her at gunpoint. They said, we're going to shoot. And she begged for her life, said, I'll show you everything. And then they took over a million dollars worth of like jewelry, cash and like handbags and, and they left. Um, so the same thing happened with Kim Kardashian in season 13, in the first episode of season 13. So there's a very strange uh, relationship between like when in the seasonal arc of the show, these types of trauma happen. Um, but then I was also really thinking about how, and you were saying this too, that Dorit and Kim have the same reaction. You know, they go, in that moment, I didn't care about any of my things. I just wanted my children to have their mommy. Right? I have babies and they don't want them to grow up, right? I can't I can't leave my children. And then when the next time you see them, they're in their sweatpants, no makeup, they're devoid of objects. They're naked. Um, yeah. they they, they re-enter the social world in a state of complete nudity, emotionally and physically.
2: In the same way that the Kim robbery was very much questioned as like a conspiracy or something fake, that, that was pretty quickly squashed. The, again, the kind of like true crime relationship to conspiracy and like who really did it, like a serialized you know deep dive tiktok dive into what really happened here has been going on with this storyline because there's all these signs that people are saying point to it being uh fabricated and they have wild theories the kind of like like this happens like again and again and it happens a lot on like later season like newer seasons of new jersey like there's a lot of um like internal among the cast and fans about like this kind of conspiracies of like people staging things for the camera. Like people are very, people get very mad when they feel like somebody's not showing their real life, when they're, they're staging something. And I just think from what we've been talking about, you know, through past couple episodes, I just think that's like kind of an interesting aspect to the Bravo sphere that's happened in more recent years is there's a lot of fan conspiracy.
1: Yeah. Well, did you read that, uh, the New York times article? The below deck one. Yeah, 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 no, I didn't read it yet. Sorry, it start. No, no, it's fine. But it just um, it started off with a few paragraphs that were like, a lot of like psychologists and psychiatrists recently have started to believe that like we're living in like a, a real time simulation akin to what happens in like Mario world when you shut off the PS4. Mm -hmm. Like the world kind of like continues and like we're kind of like living in a simulation that like other humans or aliens have like put forth of like projecting human futures. So we're just kind of like caught up. I know it's like, it's like crazy. Like we're being watched by people like millions of years in the past or something. But then it's like, well, if that's true I hope that they're just as entertained as we are with watching like reality television <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's <laughs> you know yeah and that like definitely like I think about like the staging and stuff where it's just like well of course it's staged they're on television and like, I know
2: I know it's so weird that there's this like insistence of like wanting it to be the truth
1: realer than real truer than true Which is why, like, you know, the true crime stuff, because it's, like, those security cameras are not put in by the production crew. Like, those are, like, those are just, like, from her, from... it, That's the reality. The reality is that, like, the cameras saw something, but the cameras can't speak. The cameras couldn't say anything. They're literally just passively watching. That's
2: interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting idea, is, like, we actually... For the first time, maybe opened with legit reality being filmed, like like a like a Big Brother like mm-hmm. surveillance camera. Um, I, I mean, I was just kind of astonished by the structure of the episode. Like, they just fully went into that. They didn't focus on anything else. They didn't introduce any new characters. I mean, they made Sutton look like. I mean, Sutton acted like an asshole. She cracked me up. Um, <laughs> no. really cracked me up. I mean, you you sensed the brewing drama between Erica and Sutton and Garcelle being in the middle, but like, you didn't really get much else. And, and usually in the first episode you like meet the new cast members.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, you know, we always talk about like the pervasive darkness at a certain point in these series and i think that new york definitely had a lot of seasons where the woman just kind of like go off the deep end and i think that this is like gonna be one of those seasons where it's just like it it this is going to be a very emotionally devastating season and i think that they're trying to make it dark and even with the uh especially after reading that Paris Hilton book House of Hilton and then there's obviously going to be some major conflict with Kathy and Kyle and then you see that scene where Kathy's just like Kyle Kyle I know with her smile I know Ah! thing on conspiracy is
2: um And the real and fake is Ray J commenting on the Instagram post I thought
1: it wasn't real,
2: that it wasn't real. Um, So we're halfway through the season. There's 10 episodes. So I'm, you know, I think the next five episodes, I think Phoebe, you've said this before. I think you nailed it. I think we're going to move towards Kim's um, individuation as a, into her forties, her growing up. I think we're going to see some of her, um, the next episode's description talks about her like prison reform work. So yeah. I think we're gonna see that. Um and I think we're gonna see I don't know what else we're gonna see. Do you th- well, Chloe hasn't been a part of the season? Chloe's like a real throwaway character this season.
1: Well, no, because she's gonna get her whole thing with Tristan because I think that she's gonna learn that he fathered a child. So that's just like fucking Chloe. it's just that's God. just it's just devastating. Cause I think that Chloe we've seen so much growth with her because you know at the beginning of the of the series or whatever she had like anger issues and you know just like issues upon issues and the DUI and like really drinking too much and just like violence and i think that she's grown up so much but i think that like she you know she's like the youngest one and she lost her dad when she was so young and her and her mom always have had their issues and yeah. i don't know it's just that it's just sad because like you kind of you know you root for chloe like i really do like she's like the only one who i actually kind of root for um And there's still so much more to talk about. Like we didn't even talk about Kendall or Kylie or Chris. Yeah, yeah. I think
2: there's definitely more to come. You might Mm -hmm. get a little
1: part two on this app, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's exciting. I think that it's exciting. All right. Well,
2: thanks for listening. Stay tuned for more. And don't forget to like, comment, and
1: subscribe. Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Money can't buy your class Money can't buy your class Elegance is learned, my friends Elegance is learned, oh yeah
3: To hold the door When I give them so much more Than they can imagine Money rich and manners poor Never got the boys too far Money talks but I just walk When I can't stand it And the primary mistake Texting on a date If you make a lady wait She'll take a pass The lesson all should learn Even if there's cash to burn Respect yourself cause no one else Can change your path Money can you've met to exemplify their very best behavior when entering a room greet everyone and soon you'll be invited and entitled to the grandeur your company should feel when a conversation's real even if the topic feels like science class you can tell where someone's been without even asking him he's either rude or has some style and panache money's can- Elegance and flair and savoir faire. You don't have to be rich or famous to be unforgettable. (laughs) Ha ha. It's not about where you're from. It's about what you've learned. Money can't buy.